Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Full Plate, Full Cup. We're startup leaders turned executive coaches who believe that you deserve to be wildly successful and wildly happy. We interview trailblazing entrepreneurs, business leaders, and creatives so you can peek behind the curtain of how they got where they are today and start carving your own path towards success. Each episode shares personal stories as well as actionable takeaways that you can apply to begin living a more joyful and fulfilling life. Join us to learn how to scale your business, harness your power, and fill your cup. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being on the Full Plate Full Cup podcast today, Katie. It is a joy to have you here. As I shared with you and I'll share with our audience, the Full Plate Full Cup podcast is all about demystifying success. So we like to talk with people who are at the top of their fields, all different fields. And Katie, you are one of the most creative people I know. You've had an astounding creative career. We had the pleasure of working together back in the day at Nike, and it's been a joy to watch you blossom even more since then. And so I'm so excited to hear about how you got to where you are today and kind of what you've been up to and what you've been dreaming up, because I know that you're always thinking 20 steps ahead of the rest of us. <laughs> so thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. It's good to see you again. Yes, you too. So I'm going to I'm gonna read the introduction that you sent us, which I know is just a snippet of all the incredible things you've done, and then we'll dive right in. So Katie Drakey is founder and CSO of Drakey, a global strategy collective based in Portland, Oregon. Her work sits at the crossroads of brand, systems thinking, digital transformation, and storytelling, and is focused on designing emotionally meaningful and financially powerful experiences for human beings and planet Earth. With a combination of over 20 years of consulting and over 10 years of experience within the corporate environment, plus on-the-ground knowledge of international markets, she brings a globally nuanced point of view to every conversation. And Katie, we're so honored to have that point of view on the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah. So so you grew up in the creative industry. You've worked at agencies like Wyden and Kennedy and Droga 5 and in-house at places like Adidas and Nike where we met. So, you know, that whole space can be really tough to break into from the outside. Mm. How did you get your start in it? Yeah. Well, I, I'm originally from Seattle, went to University of Washington, grew up in the region. My first job out of college actually was at a software company. And the software industry was really booming then as it still is today, but it was definitely on an upswing at the time. And I came in as you do from college, uh, really low on the pecking order, um, and was working in the HR department for college recruiting. So I was just reaching back into my recent college paths, finding engineering students really in California, Washington, Oregon, recruiting them to come up to Seattle for the summer internship program. And hopefully they'd fall in love and we'd fall in love with them and they would become uh, a really smooth pipeline into a very competitive recruiting environment in Seattle and California. This is the time when H-1B visas were really hard to come by. They were being snapped up. Um, and so you're literally like, back alley brawling with other com- uh, other digital companies and software companies to get the best talent. So it was a fun and very dynamic time to be in tech, but it was also like a really good place for me to learn because very quickly I, I needed to learn the lingua franca. I needed to be able to discuss the software. I needed to be able to talk to engineers 
even though I myself was not trained as an engineer and that that was only going to go so far. But so I spent about three years there, but then realized through talking to some of the other marketing folks in the agency, I made really good friends with this guy who had come from another state, who had moved into Washington from another company. We just made a friendship. We went to lunch a bunch of times. He told me what he was working on. He was working in channel marketing. It just kind of like opened up my mind as to, hey, I actually know how to discuss this topic really well. I'm doing it every single day in a lot of different ways. But that sounds like a lot of fun, much more creative, much more interesting. So he was kind of schooling me a little bit. So it was a little bit accidental and a little bit just good timing, good human. And then I found an agency locally in town in Seattle. It was called Imagio at the time. It was while I was working there, we were acquired by WPP. So it ended up being rolled into another agency, but they had a focal point just on tech, just on startups. They had a full service offering that was really heavily centered on PR and design because the two founders were a PR consultant and also a a graphic designer and advertising person. But I was hired to come in and do two things. One was to help support the HR department because they were growing so rapidly because of this growing industry, but also to, with this other part of my time, build the, the digital studio and hire web folks, front end, back end folks, project managers, program managers, designers, et cetera, and to build up that new muscle if you will, at the agency. And so it was really fun. Like we went through such a massive growth spurt and on any given day, I was like working on doing something really important and competitive. Like if you are gay and you have a partner, your partner could also be on the medical and dental benefits program, which at that time, not every company did as a standard. And so we wanted to be competitive. We wanted to be modern and front-footed. And so I built that plan in the HR department whilst also hiring away from a bunch of our competitors, their top talent to the point where I was getting cease and desist letters. Stop <laughs> recruiting, stop recruiting our people. <laughs> I'm honestly not surprised to hear that. So it was like, that was a sign. That was like a gold star. I wore it very proudly. So that's kind of how I initially found my way in. It was kind of accidental, but like long story short, like my entrance into that was maybe not through a standard entrance. I didn't go to ad school. I didn't get trained to be a copywriter or an art director I didn't start out at an ad agency or a creative firm. I started off in a tech company. Yeah. And then I meandered my way through gut instinct towards the things that were exciting. And maybe in part just due to luck, you know, dumb luck that happens sometimes. These were the skills that became really important to success. So when people are like, oh, are you a digital native? And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Right. Of course. You helped helped invent digital. Like it was there at the beginning, you know, the silly, the silly, funny beginnings of web one. And now I'm having a lot of fun playing in web three with an understanding, like a visceral understanding of what these waves look like, behave like the fits and starts they go through. Yeah. What I love about the story that you just told is that you really let your curiosity lead you and you stayed open to possibilities. So, I mean, even similar to you, right? I started out my career as a buyer at Macy's. I was buying men's outerwear shorts and swim at first. And I really got interested in the creative marketing advertising space because I saw what the marketing team was doing, thought it was really interesting. And a man named Chris Mang on the marketing team kind of took me under his wing. 
and was like, let me teach you more about this world. Let me bring you to meetings, see if you're interested in it. And it really is amazing when we're open to things that kind of pass us by, right? Like so much passes us by on a regular basis. But if you are open to the possibility of leaning more into those things that that just like strike even a little bit of interest inside of you or a bit of curiosity, you never know where it will lead you. And I love that about your story because it really was driven by your innate sense of curiosity. Mm -hmm. And shout out to Harvey Storm. That's the guy who is in channel marketing. I think he might be at Amazon now. Harvey Storm. Harvey Storm. We'll find him and tag him. So, so, I mean, your, your work has always been focused on innovation, technology, what it means to be human in today's evolving world. And you really kind of carved out that niche for yourself, as you said, with, you know, curiosity, maybe a bit of dumb luck. We could beg to differ on that one. But for someone out there who is like, what is my niche? What is what is the thing that I really want to like dig my teeth into and bank my career on? How would you suggest that they find it? Well, you never want to select anything that's actually not true. It's just mm-hmm. right there. Ooh. Not true to, true to you. Because I think some people do feel like I should talk about or I should be obsessed with <clears throat> or I should go after and maybe some of those things could be temporarily true, but if just like any relationship, like if you start off on something that's not authentic and not frankly easy to back up with like your natural born enthusiasm for it, it comes across and it's, there's just really, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of worth actually in starting down that road. It becomes so labor intensive, energy intensive to kind of keep the charade going I have just, and I don't know whether it's just a desire for simplicity or maybe I'm a little bit lazy. It's just like, I just want to go with what I know and what I give a shit about because that's the stuff. It's so easy for me to talk about it. It's really easy for me to convey to another person, either through writing or through even just what I share or a conversation with my face and my body language. I can't help but just emote the depth of either knowledge and like research I've done or my ability to converse on the topic at a really technical level or a really superficial level to translate it to people who are struggling to understand it. Like just when you are in your wheelhouse, it is a lot easier and a lot more fun. So I guess my advice would be like, listen to that. Mm. And then there's a little, maybe a bit of pragmatism that you wrap around that around timing. Like, well, what's, what's, What's in the zeitgeist right now? What are people talking about? So I can naturally insert myself into the waves of conversation that are taking place. Yeah, yeah. What what I what I really dig about what you just said is that when you're trying to find your niche to kind of go to what you're innately drawn to, what you're innately good at, what comes naturally to you, I think oftentimes people assume that if it's if it doesn't feel hard that it doesn't bring value to the table. And I would argue that the thing that comes most naturally to you that you have the most enthusiasm about actually has the greatest potential to become your niche, to become the gift that you are known for. You just have to have the courage to lean into it and work hard at it and become the best at it and not be scared that it feels potentially easier or more comfortable than other options. Uh, I think that is a great insight. And it's actually something 
I've just discovered with myself with this most recent um, sort of like stretch of working for myself and starting my own company, I under anticipated how hard it is for other people to do the things that are easy for me. Yeah. I just assumed, I just assumed if it's easy for me, it's easy for everybody. Mm-hmm. That was such the wrong assumption. And I don't know exactly where it came from or why or why I had it. But I did have dinner with a really great friend who I had worked with in the past. And she was asking how things were going. And I was like, it's funny. I When I first started off, I, I started off like a lot of strategy people do. I did interviews. I interviewed a bunch of other people who started their own thing. And I just asked them about what did they learn in the first year? And is there anything I should know as I get started on my first year? And so many of them gave me similar advice that it kind of freaked me out because it didn't feel good to me. But they were all saying the same thing, which was find your thing, whatever it is, you know, stick on it, write about it, become a quote unquote thought leader in it and create your menu of things that people can buy from you. Be really clear about you can buy me for this. You can buy me for that. Make a website, put these things on there like a menu, make it really easy for people to find you, know what you're about and buy you. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that feels so icky to me. Like I just, I doesn't, I maybe icky is the wrong word, but it just doesn't feel like a match to how I want to do this. And then I even had a moment of panic of like, well, if this is what self-employment looks like, I don't want to do this. Like maybe, maybe I don't, maybe this isn't, I'm going to, maybe I've found out really quickly that I'm in a cul-de-sac, you know? So, but then I thought, no, 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 just spend this first year being in an experiment and see, see what people will hire you for. See what you know that people need. Mm -hmm. Um, See how many different ways you can work and people are willing to work with you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, I talk to so many people and I'm sure Amanda does as well, who kind of like you, they're good at a lot of things. And some of them, they're like, maybe not the best at a lot of things, but there are a lot of things that they're more than proficient at. And they get really wound up about like, I don't have my one thing. Right. And I think as you just demonstrated, you, yes, you can have a niche, you can have that one thing that you're known for, but you can also be known for being a multi hyphenate and being able to kind of step in and, you know, serve as a chameleon in whatever situation you're, you're placed into. And I think that that's a big strength as well. Just, you know, that what we're good at and how we can be of service and how we can act in business can look so many different ways for different people. And I love that you use the word experiment, right? It's kind of up to each of us to kind of run these self-experiments to figure out what makes us tick, how we like to work, where we shine, and figure that out for yourself because it's not going to look the same for you as it does to the people on your left and your right. You have to kind of forge your own path, whatever that looks like, wherever it is. Yeah, totally. And even after spending seven years at Nike, which for me is quite a long time, I actually challenged myself to stay a minimum of five and was so surprised when I actually made it. So seven was like, whoa, but it had been seven years since I had been out in the consulting space. And so I had to figure out, well, what of what I know how to do, do I even still want to do? So I did take some assignments where I was like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. Like it wasn't fun. It felt like I was retreading an old wheel. The joy isn't there. I actually want to do you know, I want to make sure my breadth of portfolio, if you will, is 
more in this zone. And also, I want to start doing things that I have never been had the ability to do as a paid project, or I've done a little bit of, and I want to grow that as well. It's figuring out what you don't want is as important as figuring out what you do want. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the paths to get there look very similarly, but if you, to steal your words, kind of like sit with it and get radically honest with yourself. Yeah. It can be terrifying, but the answer becomes pretty clear. So I want to dive into the, your post Nike life and Drakey, which, um, which you've been building. But first, one more question about agency life, the pre Nike days, right? Biden and Kennedy, IDEO, all of these incredible places that you've worked. A lot of people want to work at an agency. It's very sexy. It's very cool. It seems exciting. You get to work with amazing clients sometimes. And then they get there and they're like, oh shit, this is not what I thought I was signing up for. <laughs> right? Yeah. And you're yeah. laughing because I'm sure you, you've seen other people experience it if you have not experienced it yourself. So give us the lowdown. What should people be aware of, mm. both the good and the bad, before choosing to go the agency path? Yeah, that is a great question. Okay, so first and foremost, I have benefited incredibly from the time that I spent in the agency environment. One is I love the diversity of working on a beer brand in the morning and an airline in the afternoon. Like I just love like the switching of gears and there's really very few places in in the work environment where that is the expectation um as opposed to the rarity. Mhm. I have learned through trial and error and trial by fire just being thrown into the deep end. Oops, the client meeting got moved up by three days. We're presenting this afternoon at three. You know, so you thought you had three days to put something together. Now you have three hours. So knowing how to respond to these dynamic situations as undesirable as they are and as, you know, you do everything in your power to make sure they don't happen, but you know they always will happen. I can tap dance on a dime. Like you can stick me in front of any audience in any room and I can react and I can save myself and hopefully my project in the process, even if I haven't been given adequate amount of time and resources to do it, I can keep things alive. And that is something I learned in the agency environment. I have also worked with some of the most amazing humans and most like catastrophically beautiful mind creative people. And learning how to rub elbows with a business person and then on the other end of you is like a savant sort of person who can barely speak but like creates the most amazing visual communication ever like the most really interesting people from all around the world it teaches you to be a good communicator because if you can't things fall down and they can fall down pretty catastrophically and so you learn how to work with people from different parts of the world yeah. You know, you've got like someone from Latin America on the working team, as well as the Scandinavian, you know, and they have really different communication styles, as do Americans. And you all start to realize where are the flaws and foibles in American communication and what you need to tone down and what you need to turn up. And so I think so much of that experience has made me not only just better at work in general, like these are really good, almost like boot camp level things to pick up that you probably, yeah. I mean, I can say with, a lot of confidence now having worked inside of both Audi and Nike, the people that I worked with who did their entire careers internally miss tricks. They miss these tricks. They can't tap dance on a dime. They are not 
always very dynamic. You know, they are really dependent on the system within which they have learned to work, as opposed to having to plug into 10 different clients who work 10 different ways and have 10 different languages, industries, and expectations. Like you just learn how to accommodate any crisis and succeed and navigate your way through it. So these are like the upsides for sure. But there's there's negatives, as you alluded to. Like it can it can be very demanding in terms of like the crazy. And if you work for a company that recognizes the crazy and tries to mitigate the crazy or help you out with it, you can do it for a while. There always is a point where you're like, oh boy, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. <laughs> but then there's also agencies that don't see it anymore or don't care to see it. It's very, it can be very hierarchical yes. um, that you graduate up into senior leadership. And when you're in senior leadership, all you do is, you know, shit rolls downhill and, you know, you just push stuff down. And if you're trying to come up, you can get caught in these downstream. Frankly, it's just uh, irresponsible management. Sometimes if you're part of an agency that's growing, there's a lot of, I mean, you get used to the waves of like a bunch of hires and a bunch of layoffs and a bunch of hires and a bunch of layoffs. And that is normal in an agency environment, yeah. which again, on the positive side, layoffs don't scare me. Whatever. I've seen it all. Like I've just watched, I've been a part of ballooning and shrinking companies and it's because the work comes and goes. It's just the way it is. So every time I was in a reorg or something at a larger company and some people are like having a total existential crisis, I'm like, whatever, like it'll happen. It won't happen. I'll move on. Non-attachment. Right. So it creates that sort of expectation that the world works that way. There are bad behaviors that are really old and just think mad men. And you know what I mean? Like inside of a lot of these agencies, and it doesn't matter if they're a quote unquote modern digital agency and they lead with tech or whatever. The, the stuff is still there. Yeah. And so as a young woman, you have to go in knowing that there are echoes of really shitty stuff that are still in practice. And so you just need to be aware and on it. So, so Katie, I, I love that you said like, I'm not afraid of layoffs. I'm not afraid of change. I've seen it all. Nothing phases me. So <laughs> when we were at Nike together, we went through a reorg. You were affected by that. But you kind of like jumped ship, landed on your own two feet and hit the ground running with Drakey, which is your collective. It is, I mean, you can describe it far better than I can, but very, very future focused, very innovation driven, um, very tech savvy. And so, you know, things are changing so fast, right? I'm 34. I can hardly keep up with it all. <laughs> so for, I don't, I don't know how you do it. So for someone who feels totally overwhelmed, where do you suggest that they start in keeping up with all of these new technologies that are coming out that not only affect the future of work, but also the future of how we work and what we produce? Hmm. That's really interesting. There's a couple different things I would probably recommend. One, LinkedIn didn't used to be this way, but it has certainly become like the center of gravity. It used to be more of like a place where you would just kind of fill out your profile and just let it ride. There wasn't a lot of action happening. And I'm thinking back even 10 or 20 years ago. And it's been interesting to watch the platform evolve over time and sometimes have more of like a media platform feel to it. 
um, sometimes more of a community development feel to it. Sometimes it feels like they're still trying to find their feet. But certainly with um, Facebook starting to die on the vine a bit, people have brought their social lives, for better or for worse, <laughs> into this <laughs> career space. I I sometimes cringe a little bit at the dog pictures. and Oh, Amanda and I talk about the dog pictures at least once a week. And the, hey, what, this is what I had for lunch stuff. It's like, yeah, there's another there's another place for that. We should try to keep the conversation, you know, focused on the work experience. Right. As, but then at the same time, the work experience has exploded to become something very non-traditional or, or less traditional than what, you know, we've been led to believe our, our working lives are supposed to be. And so fair enough. Some of that, some of that has cracked open, which is pretty cool. And I've also seen an uptick in people having communication to their messaging platform. Yeah. And I will often log in twice a day and find that there's messages of people wanting to connect or wanting to ask questions or just, you know, talk about stuff. So it's it's becoming something it didn't used to be. I would have never have called it a source before, but I think it's becoming a pretty good one. I yeah. wouldn't say it's where, you know, the crazy shit happens, but like it's interesting to see how the conversation changes and flows. Yeah. But I'm finding also there's a new type of working organization that is coming up. They're loosely held together as communities or collectives. Mm -hmm. Sometimes projects come through these collectives and you can band a group of experts around a project, solve it together. Yeah. And then a lot of these are in Discord or they're in Slack. I'm a member of, I think, four or five of them now. And some of them are much more structured. Projects come through and you've got three days and bing, bang, boom, and then you get invoiced. Some of them are much like, oops, somebody wants to hire us. They found out that we're all hanging out together and we all know how to do all this stuff. And it was like, oh, there's a brief. Okay, well, who wants to do it? Oh, I'll do it. You know, so they're very informal. I think those are really great places to learn. There's also groups like the Near Future Laboratory is a great example. They have a Discord server. Anybody can join. There are office hours every Friday. There's new topics all the time. If you're at all curious about what they're thinking about, which is all very future facing, you can just sign in and listen and you can just observe the conversations in the discord and people are sharing stuff because there's a shit ton of passionate people on there, like really revved up and very generous. And I find that these spaces are very generous spaces. Um, another one's called Radar. We'll link all of these in the show notes so people and, can yeah, like have access to them because they're such incredible, incredible resources. And everyone should absolutely follow Katie on LinkedIn because you put out just really valuable content, everything from resharing groundbreaking articles to sharing your own thoughts and learnings from your work to posting your hashtag gig alerts uh, <laughs> with, you know, some just like creative jobs that anyone would be lucky to snag if that is your jam. So, so Katie, just a few quick questions for you before we finish up. So as someone who has their pulse on all things future, whether it's the future of work, the future of collaboration, the future of how we interact with our planet, what has you the most excited as you look ahead? Mm. I think, well, two things at the moment, two things pop to my mind. One maybe sounds a little dark and then maybe one sounds kind of exciting. We love dark. The dark side is things are starting to get scary, finally, when it comes to climate change. Yeah. And it, I think for a very long time, it was an idea that felt far away. 
or that wasn't going to impact our real lives all that much. But you can see the signals and the noise that are coming forward. There's been articles about air travel becoming more turbulent than ever before because the weather is so much more unpredictable up at 30,000 feet and people are getting hurt because they're not wearing their seatbelts and they're getting thrown out of their seats. That's like an everyday occurrence that is like a sign of what's more to come. There's an article this week about insurance companies not insuring places who build in hot temperate environments where fire can happen or in low water level places where we know the water level is coming. And that's like a financial impact to the GDP of the United States and the insurance industry, which is mammoth. So the rubber is hitting the road. And I think everyone has experienced, I know here in the Pacific Northwest, I've got some trees in my backyard now, I can see them, where the last two summers where it got really exceptionally hot for about a week or longer, um, some of them are experiencing stress and we're going to need to like help them. Um, And so I think there's just, um, whether it's in your own backyard, literally, or just like when you're looking at what's happening in the news. So that is stress inducing, of course, (laughs) right? But it also is like, okay, now this, this feels like the moment, this, this feels like it could be the year or collection of years where coming off of COVID and coming into these realities, like we're going to get, we're going to start rolling up our sleeves. We have got to be doing it's, we all know we're late, but I think the veil has been lifted in an important way. And so it is one of those dark moments that creates light. There are good works that are taking place that are about like a bigger idea of sustainability, not just recycling sustainability, but how do we maintain sustainable companies, systems, initiatives, organizations that last? Because if you're extracted, you're not going to last. You're just going to use up all your stuff and then you're going to go out of business. So if you create a lighter footprint and a longer time horizon, then you are actually behaving in a sustainable way. And yes, some of that is goodness to the planet, but it's also to people. Yes. Um, so there's there's just, I'm seeing sustainability become, like to rise and graduate into a, the bigger idea that it really is. Yeah. Yes, circular things, of course. Yes, even asking yourself, do we need to make this before we begin? <laughs> right. <laughs> we, what is that what a novel idea? Does the world even need this? <laughs> is it the best in class? You know, I, I saw a thing today that said, I want to be the best. You know, so it was a business founder. I want to make the best of what I do, which means I can't be the biggest company in my competitive set because I won't be the best anymore. I will have to make too many compromises to be the biggest. Yeah. And it will take me away from being the best. So it was so wonderful to hear a business founder talk in that way. Because I strongly also believe that every company has its ideal size where it can have a great working environment and it can be have a very light footprint on the planet and it can put out something that is honest to God, needed, desired in the world that is worthy, durable, quality of a consumer's attention, money, and investment, especially to figure out what to do with it when it's time to decommission it. So buyers, we need to get more into our head of when I buy something, I'm now also taking on the responsibility of what the hell am I going to do with this thing when I don't need it anymore? Oh, I've never heard that before. That needs to be a part of every decision. I'm buying something that is going to what last me forever, that I'm going to pass on to my kids, that I'm going to use 
for three months and then what? So there needs to be that then what on the consumer side. And the company will have a role to play. We have an opinion of, of what could be the then what, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, I think there's a lot more ideas that are starting to percolate around this space, making sustainability its fullest concept. We could we could deep dive on this one. We could yeah. ideas, but I know that our our time is up. So I'm going to end with three rapid fire questions that we ask every guest. Okay. So okay. Katie, what is one tip for working smart? I'm terrible actually working smart because I'm a, I like to get up to my eyeballs in every job, and I sometimes poor with my time management or even taking care of my own need to go for a walk every day. So I actually the way I try to beat that. I know it's a week. I know it's a week link, so I got to beat it. So we all I, schedule, I schedule a walk into my calendar every day so that I have scheduled my body as a client. So I've got client meetings and I've got things I need to do. I need calls I got to be on or I'll even work out, you know, block off two hours to get ready for Friday's deliverable or whatever. But I also every day has a at least a half an hour of like thinking and stretching but I actually try to put a two-hour block where I put on music or a podcast and I just walk. See, I think that's a brilliant <clears throat> your body as your client. And, and I found that when I do that, though, like when I'm moving, I actually get better ideas. And so I also try to plant a question in my mind before I head out because I often will be like, oh, like it finds its way into the right crevasse of my <laughs> cerebral cortex and answers arrive. So I think it's just kind of understanding yourself and hacking yourself as you need. Yeah. Hacks and strengths. Yeah. And then what is one tip for working happy? I find that as much as I enjoy switching gears and having a lot going on, there is a ceiling. And it feels to me like I always say to my husband, like, oh, I've got too many plates spinning. And so I feel like my brain gets fractured into too many different smaller pieces. And each one of those smaller engines can't really do the level of work that I like to deliver. And so for me, working happy means understanding that and making sure that I spin all my plates, because that's actually where a lot of my juju comes from, and a lot of my energy comes from, but I don't max it out. I keep it to the right size. And then most importantly of all is that I work with people I trust. And that includes whenever possible. And luckily, the last couple of years, it's been possible almost the entire time. I only work with clients that I trust. And I vet my creative collaborators. And they have to be a good human. It doesn't matter how talented they may or may not be. We're going to have fun. We're going to play. We're going to be safe in the sense of they can say what they need to say. I can say what I need to say. We can struggle together and we can thrive together. So surround yourself with good people. No assholes. Have fun. Have fun. Hot tip of the day. Otherwise, why are you doing it? Oh my gosh. I'm into that. (laughs) And (laughs) and Katie, where can our listeners find you? Well, I'm on all the socials, usually under the handle of Katie Drakey. Then my company has has a page on LinkedIn. My company has a Twitter handle and a LinkedIn page and Instagram. And then there's a, I have a webpage, which is drke.co. Perfect. Yeah. Well, Katie, thank you for your time today and for joining us and for sharing all of your brilliance and expertise. So Thanks for the invitation. Really, really appreciate it. And we will link 
everywhere that folks can find you in the show notes, as well as those great resources that you shared. Thank you. Wonderful. Such a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Full Plate, Full Cup. If you found this episode helpful, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with a friend. To learn more about the Full Plate, Full Cup methodology or to work with us in a more personal way, find us on Instagram at Full Plate, Full Cup. That's at F-U-L-L-P-L-A-T-E-F-U-L-L-C-U-P or online at www.fullplatefullcup.com www.fullplatefullcup.com